Walls have ears, doors have eyes, trees have voices, bees tell lies. Beware the rain, beware the snow, beware the man you think you know. Catherine Fisher Violin Vice contains graphic and explicit content, which may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Violin Vice Podcast. If you haven't already, please hit subscribe, leave five stars, and write a review. We would love to hear from you. I am John John. And I'm Audie. Hello. And we have our part two of the 50 states, 50 urban legends. Are you ready, Audie? I cannot wait. Let's get to it. We're starting right where we left off with michigan now now michigan's hell's bridge if you haven't already listened to the first half of this this is kind of the format we're doing a basic understanding of the urban legend and then to our best knowledge where it came from so hell's bridge michigan now the nain rouge and dogmen They've got nothing on the tale of Elias Frisk, a deranged old preacher who, according to blood-curdling lore, pied pipered a group of tethered children into the woods near what is now Algoma Township. He slaughtered them one by one, casting them into Cedar Creek before being caught by their parents and hanged, but not before saying he was possessed by demons. In its current form, Hell's Bridge is a creaky, narrow metal footbridge in the middle of the woods where those brave enough to cross at night claim to hear the voices and screams of children and are sometimes greeted by a black figure with glowing eyes as they traverse it. Now where it came from, well there is no record of an Elias Frisk in the area, Though there was a prominent Frisk family beginning in the 1910s, still, despite the lack of hard facts, anyone who's visited the bridge will attest that there's something out there, and it usually makes its presence known as you're teetering on a shaky metal bridge in the moonlight. So, creepy bridge in the middle of the night, Audie. We need to go. We need it. Should we add that to your list of vacation spots? Obviously. Very well, then. On to Minnesota. Ooh, I can't wait for Wisconsin's biggest rivals. (laughs) The Hairy Man of Vergas Trail. Now, why it's creepy? Well, what's not to be creeped out about? An eight-foot-tall, musty-smelling, barefoot man with a reputation for being unnaturally aggressive is a hell of a thing to consider encountering in the woods. Some reported sightings were just that, sightings. However, reports like Ken Zitzow's made the hairy man more than an apparition, but something to fear. Zitzow returned from driving in the woods with dents all over his car hood and said the hairy man jumped onto the road and began pounding on the hood. 
Now, where this myth came from, nobody really knows. Sightings traced back to the 60s, had a significant increase in the 70s, and still happen from time to time. Some say it's a legend. Some say there was an old hermit living in the woods who wasn't too keen on your rascally kids wandering his land. Others say the hairy man is real and point to a mysterious skull discovered in the Virgus Trail area that is human-like, but not hominid. It was discovered by a private citizen who didn't turn it over, so no one knows if it's human, Bigfoot, animal, or hoax. I wonder if somebody had, like, hypotrichosis, the werewolf syndrome, you know, where they have hair all over their body, and maybe an ape, like, escaped loose, so they found an ape skull or something like that. I just feel like this one's pretty explainable. But there could be an eight-foot-tall barefoot guy going nuts around, around Virgus Trail, I guess. So, hikers beware. And now a word from our sponsors. Hey guys, so I'm here to talk to you about RavenyX.com. That's R-A-V-E-N-Y-X.com. So I got their crop top, flowy top, and I absolutely love it. It's black, it's a cute crop top, it goes well with jeans, skirts, you name it. They have so much more to offer too, like boots, purses, shoes, tops, and skirts. I posted my crop top picture to Instagram. It's also on Facebook if you want to see. But if you guys want to head over there and use the code VILEVICE, that's capital V, I-L-E, capital V, I-C-E, to get 40% off, you can get yours today too. Now, back to the show. On to Mississippi. The three-legged lady of Nash Road. Now that description alone, pretty creepy. But why overall is it creepy? Well, whenever a strange person starts chasing your car as you drive down a dark, unfamiliar road, it's unsettling. When she bangs on your hood, it's even worse. When she has three legs, and one seems to be road a rotting limb she sewed to her body, that, that's just worse. But that's what generations of Mississippians have said about the stretch of Nash Road near Columbus where the lady does her thing. Now, where this myth came from is from a Robert Johnson selling his soul to the Yazoo Witch. Many ghost stories in Mississippi persist, but the three-legged lady gets points for changing to suit what scares you. Some say that extra leg was removed from a dead lover and attached to her body. Some believe she's the ghost of a mother who got lost searching for her dismembered daughter after all she could find was a severed leg. Some say she wants to race you across a nearby bridge. Either way, turn off your headlights on a stretch of road and don't be surprised if you're forced to confront the specter yourself. Lots of them are based on roads, as most do. Do you remember what what the one, the Little Valley Road up in Spooner was? Yeah, wasn't that the Shulos Road or whatnot? And if you went there at midnight on like a full moon and uh, turned off your headlights, like an old carriagey hearse would drive by or maybe uh, just like a normal hearse, I guess, would drive by and then try to run you off the road. I thought there was something like that. See, like late at night... You turn your car lights off, and then this thing shows up. Pretty standard urban legend type thing. Yeah, it seems pretty cookie-cutter urban legend 
type thing. You're right. Now on to Missouri. Zombie Road is what this one's called. First time with zombies showing up in this thing, and it had to be Missouri. And why it's creepy? Well, the dark canopied trail running through Wildwood, Missouri, just outside St. Louis, has been a hotbed of creepy tales for ages, often revolving around shadowy human figures following and frightening those along that trail. And that's most of what it is. But where it came from was originally built as an access road for the gravel quarries along the Merrimack River, the road fell into disuse and disrepair in the 70s and saw an increase in teenagers flocking to the area to party slash scare the crap out of each other, as teenagers do. The origin stories of the trails haunting varies widely from the kind of plausible railway accidents, executed Civil War spies, to the more sensational sadistic children's hospital type thing. Several years ago, the pathway was paved so it might be used as a bike path, but that hasn't done much to slow the legend. The police are doing their best, however, to keep some calm with it. So, maybe there would be... I don't know. If I was like a city planner there, I probably would try playing into it and like have one of those zombie runs. Where you just have hired people that just, like, chase you for, like, ten feet and then circle back to their spot. I don't know how zombie runs work. Do you know? I don't. I've never done one. I mean, we didn't inherit that running gene from mom and dad. But I think they're really fun. And like you said, I would definitely play into it if that's what this town was known for. Well, on to Montana. Which, I mean, this is pretty stereotypical Montana. The Hitchhiker of Black Horse Lake. Finally, a hitchhiker one. Now, why is it creepy? Usually, when you see a hitchhiker on a particularly desolate stretch of highway, which Highway 87 certainly can be, it tends to give you the willies. On this particular stretch near Great Falls, it's compounded by the fact that the namesake lake is seasonal and dried most seasons. Regardless, the end result of the body of a Native American man, clad in jeans with jet black hair, slamming into your windshield as you're driving is just a sheer terror experience. Legend has it, those who encounter the hitchhiker suddenly find his body bouncing off the front of their car. When they stop to help, there's nothing there and no damage to the windshield. The hitchhiker, meanwhile, repeats the cycle endlessly, trapped in his own personal hell as he repeats his moment of death with whichever driver happens to be cruising down the road at the wrong time. Now, where this legend came from, well, folklorists have traced the whole vanishing hitchhiker phenomenon back to the 19th century. Though, given the presence of denim reported by most who encounter the hitchhiker, we're going to guess he met his demise in the 60s. If he was real. Legends of wandering spirits of Native Americans are pretty prevalent in this part of the country, too, so chances are the hitchhiker lore and the native stuff just mated logically together. 
So I don't know if you remember the last episode where I mentioned there was like a ghost that was just not really haunting, but like skinny dipping was like their thing. This is like the exact opposite. Like that just doesn't sound like a good time for the ghost. Not, definitely not the observer, but like, I don't know, like full on opposite. So I don't know. Montana should get some of their folklore tips from Indiana that's pretty cool but on to nebraska seven sisters road another road one now why is seven sisters road creepy well there's no shortage of creepy road where creepy things happen stories obviously but when nebraska's seven sisters road is particularly unsettling with the legend telling of a young man who following a dispute with his family led each of his sisters out to seven different hills and hung them from a different tree. Well, that's just a really dark start. Uh, yeah, that's not a good, good thing. Well, where it came from, the precise origins of the legend are unclear. Sometimes it's the father instead of the brother depending on who's telling the story but it goes back long enough and is ingrained well enough in the local culture that it's taken into account when making highway construction plans so yeah it's just a road with a lot of bad juju around it now of course moving on to nevada we have to talk about we just have to. Everyone knows about this one. This is one of the longest and most well-known of urban legends throughout the U.S. It's Area 51. Round of applause. Clap, 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 clap. I'm just going to interrupt you here, and I really want you to do a deep dive on this in the future, because I think it would be a great time. Now, most people know exactly why it's creepy. But in case you happen to not, or are too young to know what that means with Area 51. First of all, why are you on this podcast? You're too young for this. Second of all, Area 51 lore has been satirized, remixed, and riffed on so much in popular culture, sometimes it's hard to remember how creepy this whole deal was slash is in the first place, but secret government cover-ups, dead aliens, and playing God in the middle of the desolate Nevada desert is creepier than probing Randy Quaid. It's been said that everything from time travel, genetic experiments, and alien autopsies are commonplace at Area 51. Frankly, no one outside of high government knows what goes on in there. Now, where this all started? Well, first off, well, Area 51 is a real place. Highly classified military base in the southern portion of Nevada. Its purpose is publicly unknown. But in the early 1950s, in the infant stages of the Cold War, President Eisenhower approved plans to build the U-2 stealth plane and created Area 51 to house the development labs and test field. When reports of the admittedly spacecraft-looking plane floated through the public and media, theories spread and the conjecture around Roswell's alien crash site only fanned the flames of speculation. From there, it's been the epicenter of all U.S. government suspicion. Well, at least it was. There was 
I think that might have been moving to the East Coast for some reason. Not getting into that. Not getting into that. On to New Hampshire. The Cursed Isles of Shoals. I feel like that's... Isles and Shoals. Those are like two different things, right? Right? Anyway. Why is that creepy? Besides being cursed. Well, the charming archipelago of the Isles of Shoals off New Hampshire's eastern shore is the perfect destination for a seaside picnic or, you know, a series of brutal murders. Two young women were horrifically butchered via the particularly creepy maniac-with-an-axe method in the late 1870s. And apparently you can still hear them screaming, often late at night, which is just objectively unsettling. This specific island, Smutty Nose, hilarious name, is said to be haunted by these ghosts. The axe murder himself, pirates, and a gang of other poltergeists. So Smutty Nose is a pretty crowded and spiritual place, I guess. And come on, have you ever seen an abandoned old lighthouse in the fog? That's just, it's part of the things up there. That's just what happens. Now, where did this whole smutty nose, cursed isles of shoals thing come from? Well, the islands have a history longer than the country they are in. Blackbeard himself was rumored to use the islands as a honeymoon destination and gold depository in the early 18th century. And naturally, he killed some people there along the way, as he does. Also, another mention of a former episode of podcast. We did Blackbeard. Go back and listen to that. It's kind of cool. It was a great episode. Same with all the other pirate episodes. But yeah, no, Blackbeard was great. By the time Louis Wagner murdered the women living on Smutty Nose, I'm having a hard time not laughing when I say that. There were already ghost stories about the haunting chain of islands, with history, pirates, and of course, sex murders. There comes creepy tales. And again, abandoned lighthouses do not help in that. Moving on to New Jersey. And you would think Jersey Devil, but instead, The Watcher. But okay. So let's be real. The average. New Jersey Devil's fanboy is scarier than the obviously bullshit legend of the Jersey Devil. And The Watcher, a legend that creeped its way into viral fame in 2015, is like a David Fincher movie breathed into horrifying life. If you don't know the details, in the summer of 2015, a young family moved into a million-dollar house in Westfield, New Jersey. Soon after, they started getting letters signed by someone only IDing themselves as The Watcher, claiming it was his duty to watch over the house, while also spouting crazy lines like, do you need to fill the house with the young blood I requested? And who has the bedrooms facing the street? It's creepy stuff. Really unsettling. Now, where it came from? Is this a prank based off a weirdly accepted local legend, a media hoax, a way to drive down real estate prices, it's impossible to know. But it's, it's kind of a weird feeling. And somebody's still sending letters to the inhabitants to the house. 
The debate and skepticism still burn in the creepiest corners of the internet, and while it's a fairly new legend, it's probably one of the scariest entries on this list, no matter what you believe, because it's still happening. Uh, I don't know, Adi. If you moved into a nice fancy house and you got a bunch of creepy letters, would you stay? I mean, as long as they're not threatening letters, maybe. It's kind of like the Phantom of the Opera stuff, I guess, or whatnot. They're creepy. But, like, as soon as they get threatening or, like, serious, I wouldn't. Or I would try to figure out what's going on, I guess. That would be you. Now on to New Mexico, where we have quite an interesting character. Also, apparently hard to say by some. The Chupacabra. Now, why is a Chupacabra creepy? Well, simply put, it's a rapid beast that may or may not be the size of a bear, but definitely has spikes on its back and glowing eyes. It can fly if it wants but it will definitely suck the blood out of your pets and family. And a ton of people think it's real, which is almost scarier. Now, where does this come from? Well, anyone who grew up in the Southwest knows about the legends of the Chupacabra. Down there, it's as big as Bigfoot, even if people can't agree on what it looks like exactly. The first quote-unquote sightings happened in 1995 in Puerto Rico, and I witness accounts of the goat sucker have been a steady trope across central america reaching a heat in mexico and the southwest over the past two decades new mexico in particular has been the source of some notable chupa sightings as recently as this summer a treasure hunter claimed he found a genuine chupacabra skull in las vegas new mexico well, let's see. Oh, well, that newspaper is destroyed, so I can't look that up. Also, this is all recorded from 2017, so wasn't this year. Need to clarify that. And now another word from our sponsors. So, Sherlock in your homes, guys. I won the game. You can go check my time on the website and compare your own time. Let us know. John, John, tell us about it. From the creator of Murder Mystery Scavenger Hunt comes a new game that you can play in your home for fun if you'd like to be solving those mysteries. Or maybe Clue just wasn't doing enough for you now comes Sherlock in your homes. Investigate 10 different rooms, pictures, murder suspects to find who murdered the illustrious Nicole. Time yourself, play with one to four players, and all of this could be something you enjoy or just a fun way to spend time while you're stuck at home because who does that these days check out sherlock in your homes now i promise that it'll be something fun and enjoyable for any amount of time you'd like to play it all you need is a printer some scissors and a lot of free time if you would like to fully dive into all of this time yourself as a challenge or just do so to entertain yourself and friends check out Sherlock in your homes they're a cool game and I would not recommend it enough but on to the next one New York the Montauk project 
Some people might know about this already. But why is the Montauk Project creepy? Well, it's a series of alleged government experiments conducted in Montauk Island in the early 80s, reportedly served as one of the Duffer Brothers' main inspirations for Stranger Things. The original working title of the show was even Montauk, so... We're talking about psychological warfare, experimenting on children, opening portals to other dimensions, and various other nefarious government-funded creepiness. You've probably seen at least one season of Stranger Things. I've seen them all, but also Ashley Flowers did an amazing episode on this. Now, where this whole myth thing came from? Well, there were rumors circulating around shady government activity on the southern southeastern tip of Long Island for nearly a decade prior. The legend wasn't fully baked until the early 1990s when Peter B. Nichols, a parapsychologist and electrical engineer, helped pen the Montauk Project, Experiments in Time, which detailed a slew of salacious, quote-unquote, repressed memories from his days working in Montauk, corroborated by other also quoted, colleagues. The book detailed time warps to Mars, genetic experiments, and 11-esque psychic child spies. The Montauk Project itself is said to be a piece of a larger psychological warfare conspiracy called the Philadelphia Experiment, which naturally inspired its own film as well. I haven't been keeping up with Stranger Things. I saw the first two seasons. I haven't seen the rest so far. Oh, you need to catch up. They're so good. All right. Onward we go to North Carolina, the Beast of Bladenboro. Now, why is this creepy? Well, because it's a large, possibly vampiric cat beast that might also be part bear and will brutally murder your pets and or livestock and maybe you when you aren't looking. Now, where this creepy creature came from, roughly, well, in 1954, a string of mysterious, gruesome deaths began to hit animals in and around Bladenboro, North Carolina. Broken jaws, crushed heads, and even reports of blood completely drained from the bodies, like a chupacabra. Eyewitness accounts varied, but seemed to point to something vaguely feline in nature, but also larger and more powerful. The story made the national news, and there were multiple hunting parties that attempted to catch the beast. They never did, but the killings eventually stopped. At least, for now. By a giant bear-sized cat. That possibly drains blood. But the crushed heads? That seems like a bear. Broken jaws? Also seems like a bear. But blood completely drained from the bodies? Doesn't exactly seem like a bear. Still, though. On to North Dakota. Another gate to hell. This one's just called the Gates of Hell. Now, why is it creepy? Well, in North Dakota, abandoned towns are generally creepy, and North Dakota has an abundance of settlements that were all but abandoned after the railroad boom. Tagus, though, takes the cake due to the little fact that people believe that it once housed a Lutheran church that doubled as a hotbed for Satan worship. Uh, 
Legend is, it burned down, but if you stand in just the right place, you can hear the screams of the damned bubbling up from hell itself. There are also reports of hellhounds, glowing gravestones, and a ghost train. Vandals and revelers have made the few people who call Tagus home very wary of visitors, and Lord knows that the combination of a rumored portal to hell and extremely unwelcoming locals in a small town is boilerplate horror movie fodder. Now where this came from? Well, the Satanism business dates back to the satanic panic of the 80s, though Tagus been spooky since its founding in 1900 and ever since the late 80s, when hundreds of high schoolers turned up for a vandalism-intensive Halloween party were run out of the ghost town. Visitors have been met with extreme skepticism. The city's last church burned to the ground in 2001. So it kind of just seems like teenagers were full-on blowing it out of proportion and just a way to rebel, in my opinion. Seems like that. Onward to Ohio, or as I heard one Russian guy pronounce it, Ohio. I don't know why I felt the need to mention that. Well, their urban legend is just called Melonheads. Maybe that was why I said it. Why is it creepy? It sounds like something stale your granny might keep in her candy dish, but is actually a legend about pale, sickly, genetically altered children with head with giant heads and razor-sharp teeth that simply love killing babies. And also you in some variances. So yeah, much worse. Probably could have a better name for him. Now where did this myth come from? Well, riffs on the tale also exist in Michigan and Connecticut, but the Ohioan case is particularly compelling. These melon heads haunt the woods of Kirkland and are apparently the adopted children of an unscrupulous doctor who used the pre-melon heads to test new medical and surgical methods with not so great results. In some versions of the tale, the kids are more likely to scurry away like chipmunks that bite your face off. In others, they are just ghosts of kids. One thing is certain, they definitely inspired one very campy, hyper-local horror movie that was called Melonheads. Or Legend of Melonheads. I haven't seen that. Not really compelled to. Seems kind of... I don't know. Seems like a bad idea. I know what we're doing the next time I'm up north. On to Oklahoma. The Skirvin Hotel. Now, why is it creepy? Well, because the place is basically Oklahoma's equivalent to the hotel from The Shining, a luxury hotel whose permanent residents include eternally crying babies, a ghost that likes to grope people in the shower, eh? spirits that slam doors, and the ghost of the original owner's mistress, who allegedly died along with his illegitimate child, and who still walks the halls with a stroller. It's so prevalent that even the toughest of NBA players who stay at the posh hotel when in OKC often find themselves seeking alternate accommodations. And that's before the bed bugs start biting. There's the Wisconsin hotel that the Brewers, when baseball teams come, they do the same thing. 
Oh, great. Yeah, it's the Piffster Hotel. We covered it in Haunted Milwaukee episode. It was great. Not great, actually. That's, that's just, no. I'm not staying there. Anyway, where does this myth come from? Well, the place was built in 1911, and shortly thereafter, original owner Fred Sherubel was shot to death, but not before allegedly impregnating a maid who perished on the 10th floor. It's been downhill from there. Even a renovation in the early 90s didn't scrub the supernatural from the most haunted hotel in Oklahoma. Yeah. 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 On to Oregon. The Bandage Man of Canyon Beach. Well, why is that creepy? A guy covered in bandages? Well, far from the rooted-in-history scares of Portland's Shanghai Tunnels, the Bandage Man haunts a lonely patch of decommissioned highway near the idyllic coast town of Cannon Beach. Like many slightly pervy ghosts, he likes to mess with randy teenagers making out in their cars, though more sinister legends have him eating dogs, wandering the windswept roadside, and even jumping in the back of pickups and sedans, filling the car with the scent of rotting flesh. Now where did this come from? Well, the bandage man, most popularly a logger hacked up at the nearby mill, made his earliest documented appearance in the 50s. And he was likely a spook story told around uh, beach bonfires by teens weaned on monster movies, thus the silly mummy-like roots. Still, after hearing that tale late at night, then retiring to the confines of a secluded road for a little third-base action, it's a story that carries enough creepy weight to seriously kill the mood, which is why it's persisted for decades. Ah. So it's basically an Oregon mummy that likes to mess with people. Off of roads. Again. Classic. On to Pennsylvania. Charlie No-Face is their urban legend. Now why is it creepy? Well, according to legend, after a tragic childhood accident, Charlie No-Face, a.k.a. the Glowing Green Man, lost his face and turned radioactive, literally glowing a toxic green as he stalks western Pennsylvania highways. At night, his main haunt is Piney Fork Tunnel, an abandoned freight tunnel in Hillsville. But if you seek him out, keep your foot on the accelerator. If he manages to touch your car, it might stall out. Then you'll be hanging out with Charlie No-Face for the rest of your probably short life. Now where did this myth come from? Well, Ray Robinson was a real man. As a child in 1919, he was severely electrocuted by a trolley wire while peering into a bird's nest, which practically melted and disfigured his entire face. As an adult, Robinson walked western Pennsylvania highways, Route 351 to be exact, but only at night, as his shocking visage garnered unwanted attention. His glowing appearance is likely due to the petroleum jelly he needed to coat his damaged skin. Those who know him claim he was incredibly sweet, though profoundly isolated. And no, he has nothing to do with Pennsylvania's other green man myth, which we might go into at another time.
I just have to say, I do feel really, really bad. Like, I mean, he was trying to walk at night so he didn't scare other people, and he still gets, like, cops called and everything on him. I just feel for him. So, literally, like, urban legend from a person they don't know much about turns out to be just a nice guy. On to Rhode Island. Mercy Brown is their myth. Well, Rhode Island's home to many a haunted house, including the one that inspired The Conjuring. But one legend you can experience without trespassing is the tale of Mercy Brown. It seemed that back in the day, Rhode Island was in the midst of a vampire panic, and its most famous victim was 19-year-old Mercy Brown. After her mother and sister died, Mercy succumbed to tuberculosis as well. Due to the panic, villagers presumed something supernatural was afoot. When they exhumed Mercy, her body was remarkably well-preserved, so they removed her heart and liver, burned them down to ashes, and fed them to her sick brother. He died two months later, unsurprisingly. They say the spirit of Mercy, though, still haunts the cemetery of Exeter, where her gravesite remains a place where morbid tourists flock and will, and where a chill hangs perpetually in the air. Now, where does it come from? Well, historical fact. Mercy Brown died on January 17th, 1892, and her cremated heart was force-fed to her brother. Uh, gross. Her story is the most famous of many similarly gruesome tales that stoked the fires of Rhode Island's haunted landscape. I mean, I don't blame her for haunting the place, because, like... I mean, her heart was literally cremated and force-fed to her brother. How would you like to eat my cremated heart? Just gross. Oh, that was... Yeah. Eh. Not a fan. On to South Carolina, where they have Boo Hags. Ooh, I like that name. Okay. Why are boo hags creepy? Well, boo hags basically make traditional vampires seem like Robert Pattinson vampires. Because they are skinless beings that creep into people's home in the low country, climb on their chests for a ride, and gain vitality by sucking out your breath. They also have a nasty bit of tearing off a victim's skin and wearing it to keep themselves warm, though they'll usually just leave you short of breath and tired. Where does this technically come from? Well, boo hags are a fixture of Gula and Geechee culture, prevalent in coastal, low-country areas populated by African-American descendants of slavery. The creatures are among the most horrifying and unsettling among a rich folkloric history, yet seem tame when compared to the true atrocities of the region that birthed them. To be fair, that's very true. And it seems like that would be that culture's explanation for sleep paralysis. I was just gonna say that, like how the hag sits on your chest, that ticks off a lot of sleep paralysis symptoms. Which we also did another episode on. Oh, this is just a wonderful thing. So many callbacks to our former episodes. Wonderful. If you haven't checked any of them out, please do. It's very interesting. On to South Dakota. Walking Sam is their myth. Well, why is that particularly creepy? Well, a wave of suicides. 103 attempts as of December 2014 
on the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation in South Dakota is being attributed to the presence of the Walking Sam figure. Teenagers claim a slender, shadow-like spirit dubbed Walking Sam appears before them and commands them to kill themselves. The first wave occurred in 2013 when five members of the Oglala Sioux Tribe killed themselves and continued to spiral until Oglala Sioux Tribe Vice President Thomas Poorbear discovered photos on Facebook in 2015 depicting nooses hanging from trees, revealing plans behind a teenage group suicide. That's pretty dark. Now where did this Walking Sam come from? Well, the specter archetype that Walking Sam is based on has roots starting with the good old-fashioned boogeyman and working all the way down to the slender man told me to do it type folklore in 2008 type time. The idea of shadow people is also pretty old-school urban legend going back further than history can care to track. However, the character of Walking Sam himself has existed among the Lakota and Dakota Native American tribes for some time now, with a record of him being described in Peter Matheson's In the Spirit of Crazy Horse back in 1980, sometimes known as Stovepipe Hat Bigfoot or Takuhi. The character has been spotted by South Dakota Sioux and Little Eagle tribes as far back as 1974. So that's, that's pretty cool. Not, not the things that actually happened, but like, there's still like a growing culture persisting throughout with the Lakota and Dakota tribes. I think that's pretty cool. On to Tennessee. The Bell Witch. Now, why is it creepy? Well, essentially a real-life horror movie. The hauntings of one Tennessee family by some sort of spirit believed to be a witch ultimately attracted the attention and support sequent visit by soon-to-be president Andrew Jackson. Like, this is old, old back. And while Jackson, who allegedly was spoken to by the witch, got the heck out of Dodge, a cave near the site believed to be a portal for the witch remains a major tourist attraction in Adams, Tennessee today. So there's a witch chilling out in Adams, Tennessee. Cool. Where did it come from? Probably hell. But more factually, the haunting of the Bell family began in 1817, after the father, John Bell, witnessed some sort of rabbit-headed dog in his field and tried to shoot it. From that night on, the family experienced tappings on the doors and windows, sheets slowly being pulled off beds, and eventually the voice of a woman named Kate, who was dead, set on destroying the family. After years of torment, John Bell died in 1820 after which the family found a small vial of liquid near his deathbed. Kate, the bell witch, proudly proclaimed she gave John the poison that finished him off. Ooh. So, yeah. I don't know. Still think that's more hearsay and just anecdotal. I don't know if I would call that real. Maybe. Maybe. Do you like supporting small businesses that support others? We sure do. Foodforshirts.com, that's F-O-O-D, the number four, S-H-I-R-T-S.com, is a small business in Denver that has punny food-related or custom t-shirts that use a water-based ink that 
is made by suspending a 100% biodegradable pigment into a water base. It is made of 100% naturally occurring substances, and they proudly donate 10% of all profits to various non-profits with missions of fighting food insecurity. You can use the code VIOLENTVICEPODCAST, that's V-I-L-E-A-N-D-V-I-C-E-P-O-D-C-A-S-T, there's no spaces in that, for 30% off your order, and you'll be helping nonprofits in the process. Now, back to the show. Now for Texas. Call back to one of the most nightmare-inducing episodes we've had. My absolute favorite. Black-Eyed Children. The Black-Eyed Kids, B-E-K. No. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. Well, if you haven't heard the episode... I almost don't want to suggest you listen to it because it freaked me out. I highly suggest it because it was my favorite episode. And there's a bonus episode on Patreon if you support $1 and above. But if you want to get freaked out, it's an excellent one. Why are black-eyed children creepy? Well, because they are. Well, scary movies constantly have people fearing old country back roads, abandoned homes, and kids popping out of cornfields, but the black-eyed children are known to be seen wandering around totally normal, non-threatening locals like like locales like Walmart parking lots and sonic drive-ins, and worst, they're only rumored to put their victims in a tight situation by starting out asking for something totally unsuspecting, like a ride home or some petty cash. Now, a lot of these have been said already, and Adi's very much enjoying how much this is making me uncomfortable talking about them. Always. But yeah, no, it's a lot of fun. I love this topic. Well, where most of these come from, you can find out more on our episode, but the first documented case of black-eyed children, according in the U.S., came from 1996 from reporter Brian Bethel, who had pulled his car into the parking lot of an Abilene movie theater to use the bright marquee light to write a check. While filling out the check, two young kids, who Bethel claims were between 9 and 12, approached the car, knocked on the window, and asked for a ride home to grab cash to come back for movies. The children, who totally unnerved Bethel, claimed they didn't have a gun, Weird, right? But before making eye contact and revealing coal black eyes that Bethel later described as the sort of eyes one sees these days on aliens or bargain basement vampires on late night television. But, uh, yeah, yeah, that's bringing back nightmares, Saudi. Ah, why did I choose to do this? I don't know, but like go back to episode three, I believe it is, is Black Eyed Kids and it covers the history amongst like fairies and other religions, I guess, where they show up before Black Eyed Kids were a thing in the 90s. <sighs> you enjoyed that, didn't you? Oh, you know it. Meanie. We're moving on. On to Utah. Escalante Petrified Forest Curse. I do like the Escalante Petrified Forest in general. It's a very beautiful place, but it's also kind of just dead because it's petrified. Anyway, why is it particularly creepy? Well, Utah's legend is particularly troubling for tourists. Crap. 
as they might be taking the horror home with them. Also crap, even if they escape the forest. Ah, oh, I actually wanted to go here. Okay. Well, with shocking regularity, visitors who have stolen chunks of petrified wood from Escalante Petrified Forest State Park will mail back their lifted souvenirs. All their letters detail series of unfortunate events. Not the books, just recounting anyway. From broken collarbones, arms, and ribs to mysterious illnesses, horrific accidents, and financial ruin. The one thing they have in common... They all occurred after the victim illegally stole a piece of the forest. Well, okay. That, if that's what I need to do to avoid getting a curse by going there, okay. I can go there. Now, where did this myth come from? Many people have, and still do, mail back cursed pieces of the petrified wood, and the park even displays letters and samples openly as an attraction. Apparently there have been cases of stolen wood turning to bad luck since the 1930s. Though it's unclear the actual root of the curse, maybe it's the burden of moral ambiguity affecting other areas of life, maybe it's just coincidence, either way it's not worth risking your collarbone. I'd say so. I'd, I'd say it's definitely not worth that. So I can still go there and not take something, and I should be fine. I can take pictures. I mean, as long as you don't insult the spirit that lives there, yeah. We'll be good. On to Vermont. The Hayden Family Curse. Now, why is it creepy? Well, one, it's a curse. You know a curse is serious when it takes down an entire lineage and still manages to bother people after everyone else is dead. William Hayden was a wealthy landowner in Albany, Vermont in the early 1800s, but he never repaid his even wealthier mother-in-law for loaning him some major funds over the years. After much complaining, she became mysteriously ill, accused William of poisoning her, and with her dying breath said, The Hayden name shall die in the third generation, and the last to bear the name shall die in poverty. The Hayden family barely made it another hundred years after being plagued with financial catastrophes and illnesses. Phantom music, mysterious lights, and other assorted paranormal activity is said to haunt their estate in Albany, along with the ghost of vengeful mother-in-law, too. She is really mad at this guy. Now, where did it come from? Well, in some versions, William Hayden was a Gatsby-esque party boy who quite knowingly blew all his mother-in-law's funds on lavish parties and ornate decorations for his home, building the family's local fame and infamy, which probably just fueled the rumor mill. And when all the Haydens died... A wealthy Canadian family moved in their mansion and allegedly used the home for bootlegging and smuggling Chinese immigrants for slave labor. Ugh. So yeah, even the curse, even if the curse isn't real, the house itself still has a pretty dark history. Yeah, that's, that's pretty bad. That's pretty bad. Now for Virginia. This one's a bit weird. Funny, creepy, all at the same time. 
Theirs is called the Bunny Man Bridge. Can't wait to hear this one. Yes, the Bunny Man Bridge. It's just, okay, we'll get into it. Why is it creepy? Well, the legend is fun to repeat at campfires, obviously. It's called the Bunny Man Bridge. But the real sightings beyond the legend are some to give you nightmares. In 1970, there were numerous police reports of people who had been threatened by a man holding an axe wearing a white suit with bunny ears. Odd. A few individuals reported that the man in the suit actually threw the axe at them for trespassing. To this day, there have been many sightings of dead rabbits appearing in the woods surrounding Fairfax Bridge, now known as the Bunny Man Bridge as well as a white figure appearing late at night underneath the bridge. Now, where this legend came from? Well, legends, the legend does say that in 1904, a group of convicts were piled onto a bus to be transported from an asylum in Clifton, Virginia, to a nearby prison. En route, one of the buses crashed. The convicts managed to escape, and the police were able to round up all but one of the convicts. As their search went on... They began to find skinned, half-eaten bunnies in the woods and hanging from the overpass of Fairfax Bridge, now also known as the Bunny Man Bridge. A year later, on Halloween night, several teens went to hang out under the bridge. Come morning, they were all found dead. It is said that if you hang out under the bridge on Halloween night, you will meet the same fate as the rabbits and the teenagers. So yeah, it's a little creepy. And I'm just, the bunny ears type things, the suit, I have many questions, but let's move on. I just kind of wonder if this is like a play on the Playboy bunny thing and then like death surrounding that. I don't know, but I think it's a very interesting case. Now for the state of Washington, the 13 steps to hell is their myth. Well, why is it creepy? Well, basically the opposite of the Zeppelin song, the Maltby Cemetery, itself the subject of rumors associated with Satanism, is rumored to include a subterranean tomb for a really creepy rich family that could be accessed by 13 steps that led to their final resting place, or the final resting place of every damn soul in history. As legend has it that descending the entire staircase led you to glimpse hell itself. Now, where did this originate? Well, the cemetery has been around since 1901, though the crypt itself's date has been lost to time, as have the stairs themselves, which have been bulldozed and covered in concrete. That hasn't stopped curious paranormal masochists from trespassing on the secluded private property, allegedly showing up at the cemetery at night, eager to unearth it via nocturnal excavation missions, and being greeted by the cemetery's other apparitions. Whoa! So this one's not exactly accessible anymore. But, I don't know. Lots of gates to hell and such in the U.S., Now, this is West Virginia's biggest one, but it's also kind of common in Wisconsin as well. It's the Mothman. 
Oh my gosh, there is so much about this. You need to do an in-depth series about this. I am so excited. Now, why is it creepy? Well, the Mothman was introduced to West Virginia in 1966 with the best newspaper headline ever. Couples see man-sized bird, creature, something. Which is a pretty good headline. I do give them that. From there, residents all over West Virginia reported seeing the winged, human-like, red-eyed creature around the state, unsure if it was a demon, alien, or genetic experiment gone wrong. Even as recently as 2016, Mothman sightings have made the news. Yes, like the actual news. Now, where this comes from, well, the myth dates back to that initial newspaper piece. But the legend has been long propagated in pop culture inspiring a horror novel and the subsequent Richard Gere film adaptation in Point Pleasant, where the original incident was recorded. There's a Mothman Museum, a Mothman Festival, and a sizable statue. The Mothman has become big business, and if nothing else, he clearly paved the way for tabloid darling The Bat-Child. I miss seeing that in those National Enquirer things. Do you remember seeing those? I always liked the Bad Child ones. They were so just like very expressive. I don't know. Do you remember Amadi? I really don't. That's something I don't know about. All right. We're into our home state now, Adi. This is the main one here for Wisconsin is the Rhinelander Hodag. That's like our version of the chupacabra, isn't it? Now, why is the hodag creepy? Well, the hodag is a small creature that is simultaneously a frightening demon and comically covered in spikes. It's often portrayed as being dog-sized, but early reports said it could grow to six feet long. A 1928 legend describes the hodag as having the head of a frog, saber-toothed tiger-like fangs, thick legs with large claws, the back of a plated dinosaur, and a long tail with spears on the end. Despite its hell-spawn swagger, it was never that much of a threat to humans outside its powerful skunk perfume stench. Now, where did this come from? Well, the Green Devil was discovered, quote-unquote, in 1893 by developer Eugene Shepard and almost instantly became a fixture of North Wisconsin folklore, especially around the Rhinelander region. Three years later, Shepard claimed he caught another and put it on display at the 1896 Oneida County Fair. He had knocked it out with chloroform, so, of course, it was sleeping. But he had wires hooked up to the fake animal to make it move occasionally. Word spread fast, and the Smithsonian sent a reporter to look into the hodag. Shepard quickly admitted it was a fraud. Rhinelander, though, never let it go. It's the high school mascot, and there are multiple statues of the beast around. I don't know. I think I've actually seen this in like as a fact in the Farmer's Almanac at some point. Yeah. Now we come to the very last one of the urban legends of the 50 states. And it's been a bit of a ride and a bit of a nostalgia trip at the same time. We're on Wyoming with the Plate River Ship of Death. How ominous. Now why is this creepy? Well, there are endless creepy tales in the wilds of Wyoming. Among them, a headless woman who haunts the lodge at Old Faithful. 
But the creepiest is also the most overlooked. A ghost ship that materialized out of a spectral fog on the Platte River. The cursed crew huddles on the deck of the old sailboat, surround a body. If the onlooker persists in looking, the corpse is revealed to be that of the still-living loved one, who will then die soon after. Now, where it came from? The ship was first reportedly spotted in 1892 by a trapper named Leon Weber, whose girlfriend died shortly after he envisioned her on the cursed deck. Legend has it that the last documented sighting claimed the life of a lumberjack's friend back in 1903. There have been no official sightings since, though you could forgive people for getting the hell away from the river as soon as the fog rolls in. And that's all we have. I don't know, audience. It's pretty intense. It is pretty intense with how all this stuff goes. But every state's got something about them. Some better than others. I'm definitely not going to forget the Indiana one from last episode. But that'll about do it. Really nice job, John John. Great covering the 50 states. See you guys next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to Violin Vice. Cover art is by Audie Griffith. Music by Annabelle Reback. If you want to message us, please do so by emailing us at violinvice at gmail.com or visiting Facebook and Instagram at Violin Vice Podcast or Twitter at Violin Vice. That's V-I-L-E-A-N-D-V-I-C-E. No ampersands here. Or you can give us a once-off donation using PayPal or Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com backslash V-I-L-E-A-N-D-V-I-C-E. Or give us five stars on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to. This helps us move up the charts and also helps keep spooky stories coming. Thank you.